Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. Hello. Welcome to One Media, One Media, where we take two pieces of media and we do a deep dive. Hi, I'm Takeshi, <laughs> and with me I have Santos. <laughs> How are you doing? Good. Hi. <laughs> I always laugh because I always think about how you're doing the deep dive, and I'm just... <laughs> Excited to hear about it. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, true, true. <laughs> well, okay, so for our first one, it's going to be Carol on Tuesday. It's available on Netflix. It was released April 10th, 2019, and it second season was released in October 2nd. Now, here's the interesting part. The manga was released second. Usually, it's the other way around. Oh, so there's like a new... Yeah, it series. was released May 2nd, 2019, and it's still going. Oh, cool. So that's very interesting, but it was directed by Shinkiro Watanabe. He directed some of the best animes in the world, even though I haven't seen one of them, but everybody knows it's the best. He directed Cowboy Bebop, and the other one is Samurai Champloo. Which, that one's amazing. And I've never seen Cowboy Bebop, but I know it's the best series ever made. It's just known as the best. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We need to find it. (laughs) We can watch it. (laughs) I haven't seen it. But it costs money. I haven't seen it either. I already know it's Mm. amazing. It has a really sad ending, but... So he's like a legend in this world? he is a legend. And they have some writers from Cowboy Bebop, too. Kiko Nubamoto. So this already has like anime royalty in it. It, it was impossible that this was going to fail. Right? <laughs> and I'm just going to go right off the bat and say this was an easy watch. It's 24 episodes, but it's about a little bit over six hours at the most altogether. Because it has an incredible intro and outro song. So let's start from... Kind of the beginning. It's about two girls, and they're from completely different backgrounds. Oh, yeah, it takes place in the future, even though it has some silly kind of common things with today. I don't know if you noticed that. And on Mars. Yes, yes. It takes place in Mars in the future. Sometime in the future. And Earth still exists. Earth is like the other planet, right? So there's yeah. like now there's humankind on Earth and Mars. Yeah. So apparently Elon Musk's quest to get a colony in Mars succeeded, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and there's um, there is some fun stuff that's still like technology of today that is 
that is there. Yeah, like Instagram. So maybe this is, yeah, this is like very <laughs> near future or Instagram is doing really well. Like, and it's the new yeah, it's staple. It's doing amazing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one thing I never really understood. Maybe they funded it. Yeah. Well, if I don't know how you watch anime, but I always have the subtitles on to see how different it is from the actual translation in uh, English. And sometimes they'll say different things. And so sometimes they'll mention like different products and they don't do it in the actual dub. Oh, so you have subtitles running across the bottom? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Because they have to make the language fit, right? Or like the context fit, like the translation. Yes, the context. Or sometimes they just don't get the rights to say coca-cola or whatever yeah so they'll say something else they did that a lot too in the translation i was like oh okay okay and they sometimes they said completely different things made no sense (laughs) i was like wait a minute here especially (laughs) in this one they said really yeah so that kind of tripped me out. But I, I've been doing that for a while. It forces me to pay attention while I'm listening at the same time a little bit better. Was it like some sort of weird plot twist, though? Like oh, no, 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 no. Okay. No, not at all. Not at all. But I, th- I think the dub was incredible. So it was not going to take out anything like that. But mm-hmm. there were some strange things in there. I was it's like, okay, sure. One of the characters... They explain what happened to her, but they don't give enough detail in a way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in the translation, they do. Oh, so who'd you learn more about? Uh, Angela's mom. Oh, Nostalia. Nostalia. Yes, yes. They kind of just, they said some things differently and it didn't make mm-hmm. as much sense. There was one area with her, because it is more mysterious, like her yeah. origins and her stuff. There is one point where I was like, hmm, that didn't really add up how I thought it should add up. So, yeah. So. I don't want to give away things if people didn't watch it. Exactly. So I won't, we won't go into detail so online. <laughs> I highly recommend putting it on the English translation. And you can keep the dubs on if you want, or you can change the Japanese. But I always like to have the English dubs on. And just kind of pay attention a little bit because they do change some things around here and there. So mm-hmm. that's fun. I noticed that with this one anime I was watching, I was like, why is the English completely different than the translation? And then why can I not see what they're saying, but they're translating what they're saying right now? So that's what I started kind of going back and forth between it. Anyway, let's get to the plot. Is it a simple plot? It could yeah, be. kind of. Okay, it takes place in the future, like once again. And this one girl named Tuesday, she is 17 and she decides to run away. Doesn't really explain why just yet. She just runs away to Alba City. Is that the name of it, Alba? Yeah, yeah I think Alba. so, the big city. Yeah, the big city. And she's a total country bumpkin. Where is this? No, she, she looks she's like a not country, a country well, her dress she's looks not. Like it is. She's from like a really nice neighborhood. She is. She's like she in is. like a rich suburb. I was gonna get there, <laughs> but she's dressed like a country. <laughs> well, country like, bumpkin is totally okay, opposite. Okay. She she's dressed like a country bumpkin. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, she's not. You don't she's think that wearing, little like, a country dress? dress? A country bumpkin sounds like she's wearing like 
jeans and like a straw hat oh, or something. Okay, okay. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I thought to me it's just it's like, like the dress was kind of like a little like porcelain doll frilly? kind of yes, dress. Yeah, it's really yeah, it is kind of old timey looking. Old time okay, old timey yeah. dress. She dresses old timey in a way. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> That's more clear. And instantly she gets robbed. <laughs> <laughs> Just within the first minute, because she doesn't know the big city, because she grew up within a sheltered home and family, so she never left the house, so it seemed. And all of a sudden, she walks to this bridge, and somebody named Carol is playing her piano on this bridge. And Carol says, nobody ever stops and listens to her music. And the only one that ever did was Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then the cops try to like catch Carol because she didn't have a permit to be a street performer. So they run away. And that starts their whole entire journey, pretty much. Yeah. And it starts fast. And there's this connection that they have because Carol's playing the keyboard. Yeah. And then Tuesday's just standing there crying. <laughs> it's it's yeah. so beautiful oh, so to her. Cute. Like she's yeah. so touched by that music. And she said, she says something, I can't quote it, about what that music made her feel, you know? And it was like this, yeah. She says that she was lonely. Yeah. So that was really sweet. And then they ended up hanging out at Carol's house. I forgot to mention, too. I'm so silly. I forgot to mention that Tuesday only brought her guitar and a suitcase and a that one just got robbed right away. Yeah. She lost her suitcase, <laughs> kept her guitar. And that's yes. all she has to her name. That's it. So they have completely different backgrounds, too. Um, Carol, on the other hand, was a refugee in Mars. She was in a refugee camp and went to a bunch of different orphanages. And she grew up pretty much on the streets. And, and on her own. On her own. She doesn't know who her family t- yeah. is at all. She thinks they might be dead. She was abandoned when she was just a kid. So she has very little memories of her family at all. So for them to even get together, it was just almost like a fluke. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be no way for them to cross paths. Yeah. Right. Totally. The music just reached Tuesday, which is totally cute. (laughs) It is. So it's like this very sweet friendship. Yes. And so the very first song they write together is from that riff that Tuesday heard Carol playing on the bridge. I think it was called The Loneliest Girl. Set the night on fire You're my only way 
All right. <laughs> you know, I have to say, rewatching it too, like when they were playing the song together for the first time, I almost cried. I know it's very emotional. <laughs> yeah. Like they're very good at like creating that that tension and yeah, yeah, that feeling because you're like, oh, because it's it is describing who they both work, even though one comes from, you know, like the rich lifestyle and one's coming from like a more poor working class, they're both very lonely. And then so you're so happy. And I like their dynamic of Carol writes melodies and plays the piano. And then Tuesday is actually the one who's writing the lyrics. Right. Like she's a writer. She's always writing lyrics. She has her little notebook and her guitar. So it's like a perfect balance. Yeah. And she wrote the loneliest girl for her in like five minutes almost. Yeah. Which was amazing. Tuesday had never performed before. Like she played her guitar, but she said that she had never performed. So it was like, oh, you're like, oh my God, they're playing together. Okay. So if we get much more into the plot, but it might be ruining a lot of it. There's a lot of music in this series. There's a lot of music in the series. And the interesting thing that they're talking about really is the fact that nobody writes their own music anymore. It's all done by AI. Oh, yeah. That's a huge part. Yeah. That is a huge huge part of it. So that's not a big plot, but that's a plot point, I guess, in it. It's the structure of of why they're so special, like why they stand out. Why they're so special. So a lot of the music is very kind of robotic and almost heartless. And so since they can't afford AI to write them their music, they just make it themselves. So it's a lot more special to a lot of people and it touches people differently. Yeah. And then how did you feel about that? (laughs) 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 Do you want the future of AI and the DJs? This is what's so damn interesting is that I guess they kind of overheard or did some research because this is something that they've been working on within the last year or two. Basically, you need some type of real beefy computer and you just send it this melodies, drum beats, whatever. And it takes months for it to be fed all this stuff. And eventually it'll learn and it'll write music like you write music and everything. Wow. Yes. So they're doing that now. <laughs> How do you feel as a musician? <laughs> Is it something you'd want to use or learn or like if that's where it's going, like the technology? Uh, It's pretty interesting. I mean, I'd like to test it out myself because a lot of my own music is done off of, as Bob Ross would say, happy accidents. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How do you have happy accidents with... Exactly. So how can you have all think, oh, okay, I'm going to throw in this one thing and just kind of tinker with it for an hour or two and see where it goes and... If that goes anywhere, then okay, I'll go from there. Yeah. I'm not sure if AI could do that, but you never know. No, that'll be interesting. And then I think to not give the plot away, but that there's Carol and Tuesday, obviously the main characters. They're in the music industry. So you're learning a lot about the music industry and like how to get their music out there. Yeah, yeah. It's very surface level music industry stuff. Yeah, like what you kind of hear that you should do to make it big and somehow they're kind of doing it and it's succeeding in a certain way. But it's pretty cool. We should probably mention two of the people who helped them out the most was Gus and Roddy. Yeah, Gus became their manager and Roddy pretty much 
a producer or other manager? <laughs> yeah, producer slash assistant manager or something. Gus is old school music industry and Roddy's current. So he's more AI. Like he works with AI and things like that. Gus discovered them and pretty much said, I'm your new manager. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because it's the music. Yeah. The music just touched him. He knew that he needed to get out there somehow. And it's just their adventure on how they made it big. And it's really interesting. And it's pretty cute, too. And is. And there's so many fun Mars new characters and and types. And it's, it's it has a lot of silly stuff in it, which is fun. Something about, like, if you never watched anime before, if you started with this, it would be, like, kind of hook you, maybe? Yeah, we keep on saying that. <laughs> But this is yeah. definitely the one that if you watch it, you're going to be like, yeah, I like this. Like anyone can like this one. I feel like you don't have to like anime to like this one. Exactly. So, which brings me to the question. Oh. <laughs> what did your boyfriend think of it? You know what? He was, I think, a little bit annoyed. I was like hogging the TV because I was like, another one, yeah. another one. But it's the one that he can sit through. He sat through and- it. Through some of it, yeah. Of and it. he wasn't like the whole time or anything. <laughs> so it is better. Oh my goodness. Yeah. If it was a movie, I think he could have done it. But because it's like a series, it probably just seemed Short like... Short series, but yes. It yes. is, yeah. But you know what I mean. So yes. that's yeah, why I, I was it. like, oh, I think this is the most... I don't know what I'm going to call it mainstream in a bad way. But just like that more audience, I feel like there's more appeal to like more people possibly. Yes, I fully agree with you on this one. Everything about it is just incredible. The animation, I forgot to mention the animation. It's very different from the other ones we've seen so far. I can't explain it because it is pretty futuristic, but a lot of the stuff they're using is what we kind of use today in a way. So it has kind of like a realistic kind of vibe to it with this weird fake shell is the only way I can explain it because everything is still there. Everybody still kind of watches a talent show that I figured we'd be gone by then <laughs> and stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's still very much like today. It's very it's much, pretty like, much today. like today, but it's on Mars. <laughs> oh, I want to say like too, there's music, but their first song, you're not going to hear that every single episode. Like there's a lot yeah, of music, but there's, like, there's new songs few, all the yeah, time. Music. Yeah. I was surprised because like you think about movies like Frozen and it's like one song being beat into your brain the whole like hour and a half or whatever. And this one, it's you actually went like, oh, I want to hear that other song again because they don't repeat a lot of music, even from the other singers in the other musicians. And it's a wide variety of music comes up. You know, like there's just a wide variety. I mean, there's a lot of pop, but they hit into like some rap. Yeah, and a lot of the music is what you'd probably pretty much think music is today. It's not like futuristic music at all. Which I like that one funny. futuristic one, though. What was her name? Oh, I can't <laughs> remember her name, but it was so funny. Uh, it was, I know the song was called Milky Way. <laughs> yes, that one was oh, good. Oh, futuristic song, yeah. Oh, it's so not, there's some fun stuff. I like definitely, yeah. Oh, um, uh, GGK. GGK is like my favorite. Yes, she, was, <laughs> she was my favorite. She kind of reminded me of a kind of... Some of those people who call themselves indigo children. Yeah, like a crystal child or indigo kid or something. You don't think of Burning Man or either? Oh, like- little burner. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> the work kind of shanty people mm-hmm. claiming that she's 13 billion years old or something crazy along that line. Yeah, and she's channeling the music through the universe. Like, she's just a vessel. Uh, like, all of that. I loved it. I thought it was so funny. God. That was good. You know how many times I've heard that before? Oh, my so God. So good. <laughs> It's good, but it made me roll my eyes back. I was like, oh, dude, they nailed it so well. Yes. And what about the DJ um, Erdogan? Erdogan? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Erdogan, totally. I've seen some people like that in some way or another. Mm -hmm. With really big egos and just think that they're just the biggest thing since sliced bread or they're going to make it big or whatever. You're like, okay, dude, sweet. Yes. Right on, man. Great. Erdogan, I think, I need to say, he's still one of my favorite characters, though. He is. He grows on you. He's so annoying, but you love him. Exactly. And everybody has, not everybody, not every character you meet, but characters you meet more frequently, they have like a an arc, like they develop. So that's why you fall in love with certain ones that you wouldn't think you would at first, because you get to know them. Yeah. And their rival, I was going to say the, the rival, Angela, she has a very interesting background, too. Should we go there or should we just kind of... I'll say she has a pretty interesting background. And <laughs> Yeah, people can watch it. It's good, yeah. Because it's fun to be surprised. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to highly recommend this to anybody. I don't know if we'll ever... Well, maybe Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that, yeah. I think that's going to be the next one where it's going to be like, that was the best series I've ever seen. Yeah. But this one, I feel like I could say is like, it's not just good because I like it because it's cute or something. I feel like it's just can stand on its own. Oh, yeah. For, for sure. anybody to like. It's not as dramatic in the way of like some of the other ones that we love that there's not a lot of internal voices and drama like that. It's. Yeah. Your Lie in April, it was good for me to watch a couple of times, but I could see why some people wouldn't like it. And. What was it called? Love Chinobo and uh, and other delusions. Chinubio yeah, and other delusions. That one's definitely for people who kind of are sick of anime but would like to watch this because it makes fun of that anime in a way. Mm-hmm. Where this is, is definitely for anybody. Even though I did say I think that that could possibly be for anybody. <laughs> yeah. So maybe watch this one first and then love Chinubio and other delusions. Yeah, exactly. It's a good starter. It's just fun. So I recommend it. It has so much style too. There's there's just something about it. And it reminds me of um, the other work that they did, uh, Samurai Champloo. That is a ridiculously good series. We'll have to watch it sometime. Not next, but sometime. (laughs) Okay. Because it kind of does this whole entire crossing of hip hop and samurai. Oh, that sounds, that's probably the one that will be liked in the whole household. (laughs) It's pretty good. I think it's better than Afro Samurai, which was kind of trying to do the same thing, but this definitely Uh did it. That sounds intriguing. (laughs) There's nothing else I could really say. I just got to recommend it. Yeah. All right. So I guess we could just move on to the next one. That was easy. Storygram Network. And we are back. The next one we're going to talk about is Johnny Cash's American Recordings. 
It was released April 26, 1994. It was recorded May 17th to December 7th in 1993. And the different studios that they used was Rick Rubin's Living Room, Johnny Cash's Cabin, (laughs) and the Viper Room, which is a small, small club. It is about 42 minutes. And it was released on Rick Rubin's label, American. The singles that they released on it was Delia's Gone and Drive On. I started listening to this about two weeks ago. I don't even know why. (laughs) Something out there just told me I should listen to it. And I was like, this is really intriguing. The universe. You were channeling the universe's suggestions. (laughs) I have no clue why. It just came to my head. Uh, It wasn't like I watched any video or documentary about it. I started doing all the research during this time. Mm -hmm. I always heard about this album and it was just him and his guitar and these interviews with Rick Rubin from like over 20 years ago and stuff. So I figured, okay, I think I need to listen to this. So I listened to it. I was like, this is so interesting, especially the, during this time too, mm-hmm. like the shelter in place and everything. And so it's cool to hear these kind of old stories. When they were making that Johnny Cash movie, with Joaquin Phoenix in it. This is the era that I wanted them to talk about. (laughs) Oh, but that movie was a biopic about like his young years, right? Up until like he met June and... Yeah, up until Folsom Prison. Mm -hmm. That one, which is an incredible album, by the way. Or yeah, is it Folsom Prison Blues or something like that? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. The reason why is he kind of has two or three... Four different eras of Johnny Cash. There was the one when he was just doing rockabilly and country, and he was touring with Elvis and them, and he was on Columbia Records, and he helped them get big, and he was on the same label. Maybe it wasn't Columbia. I can't remember exactly. But then he was having a real hard time with drugs and stuff, and he was struggling, so he had to quit doing drugs, and he got all these letters from these inmates saying how much his music influenced them and helped him being into clink and stuff. And that's why he started that one album in 1969. And that blew him up. At first he was just a country star, but that album alone made him an icon. During that time, he was just everywhere. And so that was 1969. And he had his own TV show. I don't know if you know this. It was pretty damn good. I saw some of that country music documentary recently, like not that long ago. And so that's where I learned about Johnny Cash's TV show. So I thought that was interesting. Okay. He was always battling with ABC and the executives about guests he wanted and the style that he wanted to do. And, And he was pretty much over it. It lasted over 50 episodes. What a lot of people don't know or think about Johnny Cash now is he wasn't doing too good throughout the late 70s and 80s up until the early 90s. He was actually doing awful. Hideous. What do you mean awful? Like how? Like health-wise, financially? Financially. Okay, so he canceled his show and he had to go off on the road again. And his album sales were 
garbage. It was selling maybe 50,000 copies at the most. He was having the worst producers that wanted to have like strings, like orchestra and all this other stuff, or they wanted to have this full, full band, even though the original producer of his early stuff just said he needed to have a very stripped down band. That's why in his early days, he only had guitar, bass, and drums. It was getting to the point where he had to go start playing these really, really small shows that maybe, at the most, a couple hundred people showed up. Wow. He wasn't doing good. He was doing... I really sad. Yeah, he was doing awfully bad. This is why this is so fascinating. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is so awesome. It was lucky. Sometimes there would be like maybe 10 people in there. And it was just so sad. Johnny Cash. You can't imagine Johnny Cash like this. No. Because it just would be like, what? I can see Johnny Cash. <laughs> yeah. And it's because of this album that it blew him up again. How did this even form? Okay. So he was let go off of Columbia Records. And that was another big, huge hit because country music was going a different direction. This is when country music went mainstream in the 80s and 90s with Garth Brooks and all that other stuff. I can't even remember. So they let him go. And so the only way he was kind of performing is at these garbage places in Vegas and Tennessee and wherever where hardly anybody was showing up. Once again, Rick Rubin of Red Hot Chili Peppers fame... Slayer, Beastie Boys, Beastie Boys, Run DMC. He produced all these amazing albums. He thought in the back of his head is if there's any artist I've wanted to work with and kind of bring him back up from where they were, who would it be? And the first thing that came to his mind was Johnny Cash. Weird. Like it just was like his own dream person to work with. Yes. Oh, I forgot to tell you too. Johnny Cash got an offer to play at Lollapalooza, and his daughter was really nervous that these kids wouldn't know who he was, and they were just going to throw stuff at him. And she said, don't do it, Dad. Just whatever you do, just don't do it. They just don't know who you are. When Rick Rubin reached out to Johnny Cash, he was a little bit weary about talking to him. Oh, yeah, because he's like, they're not going to know who I am. It might not work out. Yeah, exactly. And so they talked after a show, and then Johnny Cash played another show, I guess, with Willie Nelson in L.A., and they talked some more and hung out. Johnny Cash asked him, well, how would you want to record me? What would you want to do? He's like, anything you want to do. And that was kind of the first time any producer said that to him. And Johnny Cash said, well, I just want to play my guitar and sing. He's like, well, we're going to do that then. Wow. So he gave complete creative control to the artist. And actually, they recorded way over 100 songs. And they just picked out the ones that they liked or that would fit with this album. And I guess they did try to get other musicians in and play with a full band. And Rick Rubin and Johnny Cash both decided that it should just be guitar and vocals at the end because it just didn't have the effect as it did. That's what's so amazing about this album. And this is what blew him up. (laughs) It's neat because I don't know Johnny Cash's whole catalog. I did grow up listening to probably Folsom Prison Blues era from my dad. So I grew up with 
classic, probably Johnny Cash. So when I first listened to this, that's what it kind of reminded me of. But then I was thinking about it. I was like, this is 94. I was wondering, I was like, I wonder what happened in the 80s. Like, because it was real tacky. So it was, was awful. Like, it was, I was all like, awful. So I, wa- <laughs> I wonder if this is him going back to his roots of music. That's exactly what happened. He did go back to his roots. Because if you even just kind of just brush over some of that stuff in the 70s and 80s, it's so bad. Yeah, so they just didn't understand who Johnny Cash was, and Rick Rubin was the only one that understood who he was. It's just amazing. Do you think it's kind of similar to like when you're saying that with like Skinny Puppy, like they're trying to push them to sound more like Nine Inch Nails? Like whenever like a hot sound comes in, unfortunately, like these record labels will then push their artists to sound like that instead of keeping true to who their artists are. Exactly. And Rick Rubin's like, no, it's going to do whatever you want to do. And so this is a good introduction into Johnny Cash's later catalog from 94 on up because they did music together for over a decade. Wow. I didn't realize they worked together for so long. Oh, yeah. Interesting. He produced their last album, which had Hurt on it. It's really good. Now, the funny thing is, He was kind of making it big with the younger kids and even on MTV. For some reason, Dealey is Gone was on MTV during that time. But the country music channel with CMT rejected it. Oh, okay. That's really, yeah. So he like hit a whole different market. To me, it's like kind of like classic old school kind of like country music because it is so simple. Like there's something very simple and clean and beautiful about it. Because when I was listening to it, these sound like songs... That might have been sung a million times for generations, passed down songs. Oh, that's neat. That country was no thanks. <laughs> yeah, it was an ongoing battle for them up until his very last album. Right before he was about to die, they decided to put Hurt on the country music channel. The- Shame. Shame on country music. <laughs> the scene that Johnny Cash started threw him out and they rejected him up until the very end. And it's uh, such that's a sh- so typical. What about in 94? Do you count him as being part of the catalyst for people being rockabilly into old country and things like that? He probably sparked that scene kind of. I think you're right. That whole entire rockabilly, psychabilly kind of scene. I think he was one of the ones that just kind of brought it right back. Okay, I was thinking that, and then I was also thinking, is Rick Rubin like the first Jack White, where Jack White went back and scooped up Loretta Lynn and reproduced her? <laughs> is that where Jack White got the idea? He might have. <laughs> and say what you want about Rick Rubin. Sometimes he gets a lot of flack for starting the whole entire loudness wars and making music really loud and overcompressed. This album's not like that. <laughs> and that's what's so good about it. <laughs> it was good for Rick Rubin as yeah, well. Yeah, even Rick Rubin was saying when he released American Recordings, before that, kids would come up to him and ask, oh, when's the next Slayer album coming out? When's the next Ren DMC album coming out or whatever? All of a sudden, these same kids are wondering, hey, when's the next Johnny Cash album going to come out? <laughs> It's so interesting, but it's also cool that it might have opened up people to different types of music. Yeah. This is completely crazy to me that just country music rejected him, but kind of popular music and younger music took him in. 
even though he was this guy in his 60s. And it won a Grammy for Best Contemporary Folk Album, which I think it totally deserves. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of dark at times. And it's... And I wouldn't call it religious, but there's a spiritual aspect of like someone grappling with their spirituality. So it's kind of interesting on that too. So it does, I liked it. It's nostalgic for me because I grew up listening to his other albums. This fit right in. (laughs) It's like, oh, I know this type of music. But when people (laughs) think Johnny Cash, they probably will think Ring of Fire. That's the very first song they think. They don't think of this stuff. And I think the 90s music is... This is definitely what made him legendary. This era. Yeah, I wouldn't have pinned that. I would have thought that other music made him legendary. And it did. It made him popular. This is what sealed him in. And this music is darker because he's later in his life and you hear it in his voice. It has a different weight to it. Right. Then the other ones, like Ring of Fire stuff, is kind of fun. He's young and he's having a good time. This is contemplative. It doesn't sound serious. You can listen to it, but... There's something much more emotional to it in a simple, good way. So I, it's like when he became a full artist, probably himself, to express himself. And Right, right. He was definitely reborn with this album. And exciting for people's careers to come back. Yeah, you know, he thought he was exciting. done. He didn't know what he was going to do until Rick Rubin just randomly got a hold of him. The other funny thing is, is you know that one t-shirt that everybody has of Johnny Cash with him flipping off the camera? You want to know why that came out? Why? (laughs) It was an ad campaign. Oh. And it's after he won Best Country Album for Unchained. He got a Grammy for it. And it's him. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to read you exactly what the quote was. American recordings and Johnny Cash would like to acknowledge the Nashville Music Establishment and Country Radio for your support. <laughs> oh, so it's like, we did it. Me without you. Exactly. Could you imagine being Rick Rubin? You're producing better country music <laughs> than the like, country music labels. You're like, bring it. <laughs> yeah. Because that makes me wonder about Rick Rubin and his ear for music. Yeah, totally. I mean... And the other albums it has a full band in it, and, but it's still really well done. I think it's Unchained is the next one. And they had Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers for his backup band. That's neat. So they just kept going and getting creative together. And now I want to listen to more of their albums because just to see how they developed their relationship. And I always saw either this or Unchained just lying around at my friend's house. Well, I don't know why my dad doesn't have this album. It's so good. So big ups to Rick Rubin. Just So if you buy that t-shirt of him flipping off the camera and you wear it in Tennessee and happen to go to Nashville, you probably shouldn't be wearing that shirt. Yeah, be careful. (laughs) (laughs) But I bet Nashville and all of them... Say like, oh, we love Johnny Cash. We probably have amnesia about that time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, when you think about what country music was back then, well, it's what it is today. It's so kind of glossy and really overproduced and very commercial. Kind of sounds like that Garth Brooks stuff and was it Alabama and all those other bands? Maybe. I'm not familiar enough, so it's hard to... I watched like two, three documentaries on this. One of them was on the Country Music Channel that they used to reject him on. 
(laughs) (laughs) It's totally crazy that they didn't take Johnny Cash in and just took MTV in the rock music scene, I guess, and the younger kids Mm -hmm. to accept him. Which is exciting because maybe that group was ready for something like this and the other group wasn't, so. Yeah, and once again, it's just the 90s was so all over the place and experimental with the sound. I'm kind of curious if this album was released today, would it have as much of an effect? I can't imagine anybody else doing it except for Johnny Cash. No, and it's like who it was, who he's working with. And you're right, because with um, crossing over different genres was more, I don't know, I'm going to like attribute to this 90s kind of time period. Like there was like a special opening in the universe to start like doing this type of work and creativity. And so. So what songs were your favorites? Obviously, I like 13, but I think I kind of like it too because Glenn Danzig wrote it. Bad luck wind been blowing at my back I was born to bring trouble to wherever I'm at Got the number 13 tattooed on my neck When the ink starts to itch then the black will turn to red I was born in the soul of misery Never had me a name (laughs) Now you can tell, can't you? (laughs) Yeah, so wait, which songs on this album are other people's songs? You know, I'm not too sure But that one you knew for sure? I know he hired Glenn Danzig to write a song and Glenn Danzig supposedly wrote that in like 15-20 minutes that's ah, so there's so many interesting collaborations going on. I think I like the one down there by the train. There's a place I know where the train goes slow, where the sinner can be washed in the blood of the lamb. There's a river by the trestle, down by sinners grow. Down where the willow and the dogwood grow You can hear the whistle You can hear the bell From the halls of heaven to the gates of hell And there's room for the forsaken If you're there on time You'll be washed of all your sins and all of your It's hard to find a place to stop. I know. <laughs> I like also The Man Who Couldn't Cry. I thought that was kind of a funny one. There once was a man and he couldn't cry. Hadn't cried for years and for years Napalm babies 
movie love stories for instance could not produce tears as a child he had cried as all children will then at some point his tear ducts all ran dry grew to be a man it all hit the fan things got bad but he couldn't cry it has some funny parts in it too hey, well it's funny if you think tragic stuff's funny because it just keeps getting worse it keeps getting worse but in this weird sarcastic way yes the album is very like storyteller there's all these interesting stories it just reminds me of cowboys and storytelling and <laughs> it just reminds me of my childhood because it's very my dad so <laughs> that's good anybody could listen to us and they should like it <laughs> except for i guess the country music radios back then and <laughs> the country music television <laughs> It can feel a little heavy or sad. Yeah, I guess you're right. It, it is a little heavy and sad. At a musicality kind of thing or production, it's not something that's going to have a bunch of earworms, but you're there for the storytelling. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of sit there and listen to the lyrics, which is super hard for me to do. Can you try and do other things while I, you're listening? I don't memorize lyrics well. I have this weird thing where I just can't hear them as well. Or I don't either. It's very hard for me to know what people are saying. I'm like, yeah. okay. Yeah. And the better I know somebody uh, or I live with somebody, my ex-wife, also I couldn't understand her because yeah. <laughs> I was Cause around her all the time. You're like, I no longer hear your voice. <laughs> yeah. I always be like, going, what? Huh? Oh, no. No, that's bad. But that's why I enjoy radio rap music because I don't really know what they're saying so I'm not offended so I'm just having a good time (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) but the lyrics you could listen to them and it's not being overdone for anything else because it is just him and a guitar Mm -hmm. so his vocals are the focal point it's funny because when we talked about Downward Spiral, I said it's a beautiful album because there's so much sound layered. But this one's really beautiful for the opposite reason because it's so clear exactly. and simple. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not easy to do is to make something that simple and be that strong. Yeah. To have somebody like Rick Rubin going, yep, these are the songs and we're just going to do it. <laughs> Thank you for doing all that research. <laughs> It's amazing, right? <laughs> Interesting. Oh that was good. Oh, God. except I had a question. Yes. You said one of the studios was the Viper Room. Do you mean like the Viper Room in LA? Yeah, it wasn't a studio. It was, it was where they were playing live. The club. Oh, where Phoenix died. Yeah. River Phoenix? Yeah. And Johnny Depp owned it, right? Yeah, right. Hmm, an infamous place. I guess when you're Rick Rubin, you just go, hey, I want Johnny Cash to play here so we can record him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, listen to this. Check it out. You should like it, no matter what you listen to, unless you like the mainstream country, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, just, yeah, unless you're like in love with like 80s country music. <laughs> Thank you for choosing this one because it's good to listen to a classic and know more about this artist that I grew up listening to. So, yeah, totally. Like I said, this is what I wanted to hear about and learn about. In that movie about Johnny Cash. Yeah, they need a new one. They need a new biopic that focuses on this This time. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be really cool. 
Because it's just so intriguing because after that Folsom Street Blues, I mean, he blew up. And then how his decline just happened. That would be so intriguing. Some crazy guy with a beard and glasses came up to him. (laughs) Was Rick Rubin already all bearded up? Oh, yeah. By 94? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like early on? Was he a yogi yet, though? Was he doing yoga yet? (gasps) He's like an early yoga adopter. Definitely. I guess we should cap this off. You could follow me on Facebook at Blitz Unicorn or Santos. I'm on Instagram as Wellness as Art and as Sister Santos. See you next week.